0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. OK, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please moving. please moving. play oh, the you're not oh, see i got to this made a mistake. I think I'm
1: bang on there. And they are. Okay, gentlemen, play ball! Watch your hair! Good jacking,
0: guys! good play! It is finally the Stanley Cup Playoffs. Now that we're into the middle of August, I think it's about time that we got the Stanley Cup Playoffs started. Goodness knows there have been reasons why things have been pushed back, but we have been enjoying hockey once again for a while, and now we are enjoying the Playoffs and boy oh boy do we have things this week to talk about on this podcast josh
1: man i always love the first round of the playoffs it's nice that we don't have to qualify round robin any of that it's just the playoffs and it has been off to an amazing start
0: just a couple of days in but plenty of stories that we'll get into we have a couple of qualifying round quickies left over uh hey you can't sit there is that or isn't that a penalty and oh this one's gonna cost you just some of the topics on this week's edition of the scouting the refs podcast powered by team stripes of course for training tools for apparel officiating equipment whatever you need go teamstripes.com is the website that you should be going to hit us up with your questions via email heyref at scoutingtherefs.com, or through our social media channels follow josh at scouting the refs on twitter and instagram and you can follow me on twitter and instagram at Todd Lewis Sports, so uh, l- let's start with the the qualifying round because that's over and done with. But I think there's a couple of things worth noting, <laughs> and most most notably on the scoutingtherefs.com website, that great picture you have, of Philip Forsberg flying through the air like Superman.
1: Oh, it was great! It was a, a super attempt by Philip Forsberg to stay
0: onside. It didn't work. It was a good effort though, and he he gets points for that it's a it was a beautiful attempt but it got me thinking that this would perhaps create some discussion of the discussed change to the offside rule where it's not the actual line on the ice but the plane that goes from the ice surface up to the heavens if you will and you just can't break the plane and would this have been considered onside if philip forsberg had completed the superman dive across the line
1: sadly no no. It wouldn't. It was a, it was a great attempt. But the offside rule, which hasn't been changed yet, the GM's approved it, but it still needs to go through the competition committee. It still needs to be formally voted on by the NHL's board of governors. Those two things haven't happened. So it's not changed at this point. But as I understand it, the proposed rule still goes based on the players skates. So for Forsberg to make this one work, feet first would have been the way to go.
0: Ah, so he would have had to do uh, more of a long jump versus the Superman (laughs) flight. Is that what you're saying? Potentially
1: more effective and amazingly more dangerous.
0: (laughs) Well, yes, two two razor sharp blades headed towards someone is is kind of a potentially dangerous situation. Okay, I'm glad we we clarified that. Now, there, there was also, involving the Nashville Predators, an offside challenge and forward Matt Duchesne. Have I heard that name involved with an offside (laughs) challenge before? Matt Duchesne was offside. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) It's his fault we're in this mess in the first place. Goodness me, but it wiped, it wiped out a goal and the Coyotes were were the benefactors of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I kid because obviously the Duchesne call was one of the most egregious offsides that we had and it wasn't the fact of how offside he was years ago, it was how the puck got there because certain plays would allow him to precede the puck into the defensive zone. But in this case, Duchesne Entered the zone ahead of the puck. It, it was clear uh, the settings were off on his GPS. He had wandered into unfamiliar territory <laughs> and he was just hanging out. And then the, the puck went in. So that that did cost Nashville, which was a, a shame for the Predators there, even more so because Duchesne offside once again became trending.
0: He was recalibrating, recalibrating, <laughs> recalibrating, but not quickly enough is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got to work on those settings there, Matt. Yeah. Okay. So now there was another uh, offside challenge, I believe that involved the Chicago Blackhawks as well.
1: Chicago Blackhawks coach Jeremy Colliden challenged an offside from Vegas. That was a a fun one. The coach's challenge was unsuccessful, but this brought up a whole lot of questions, Todd, around that offside rule because this one came down to Ryan Reeves' skate, which was clearly over the blue line, but the the review confirmed that it was in contact with the ice surface, so the play was not offside. I, I heard the broadcast team talking about it wrongly, assuming that the plane rule was in effect and that it would clearly be counted as a good play but not the case however they did find that Reeves skate remained in contact with the ice so it ultimately was a good goal so the, the rule and the, the minutia there are, are pretty important when it comes down to this and uh, as far as Chicago goes this was their first wrong offside call all season so a big moment for their video team to
0: not come through yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And once again, we will lament that the announcers and even those on national broadcasts don't know the rules properly and thoroughly, which we find frustrating. And we'll once again renew our pledge to attempt to get an official as an analyst for broadcast, at least on a national scale. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that as it is for the time being because we, we're now into the playoffs, and, well, we certainly started with a bang with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets who attempted, I think, to play the entire series in one game.
1: Oh, man. I was keeping score for the periods. I'm like, all right, well, you know, we started game three now, so let's just... <laughs> just keep the running <laughs> clock going the the minutes were piling up the shots were piling up and
0: and it was it was some phenomenal hockey it was great to watch but holy cow what a game it was it was awesome i i tweeted i thought it might go longer than the actual series did between these two teams last <laughs> year but it finally did get shut down in the the fifth overtime with braden point scoring the goal now there were some amazing displays and record set by members of both teams in here. They competed so hard. Jonas Corpusalo now holds the record of most saves in an NHL game. Seth Jones now holds the record of most minutes played. However, there are four gentlemen that actually hold the record for most ice time. And that is the two linesmen and the two referees that work this game because they were unbelievable to stay on top of things.
1: Yes, there are no substitutions. There's no line changes. There's no breaks. There's no backups that can come in and and help these guys out. They're out there for the entire time. So we're looking at 160 plus minutes of ice time for the four officials in that one, which is, which is absolutely crazy. And kudos to them for hanging in there for staying in, the right spots for their positioning and you know it's it's no breaks it's no rest it's, it's a lot on those guys but uh, they they hung in there and I think it was a, a tremendous effort by the officials in that game.
0: I know you also got some inside intel about what takes place during these multi overtime periods and the officials basically go through their same routine as they do between periods one and two and two and three in a regular game.
1: Yep. The, the officials for that were Gord Dwyer, Jean Bear, Brian Pantich, and Derek Amell. And for them, it's business as usual between periods. It's just happening again and again and again. But <laughs> no special treatment, nothing fancy, nothing going on. You've, you've got your water and Gatorade to stay hydrated. You've got your fruits, your oranges and bananas, and you've got your carbs, some bread, some bagels, maybe some peanut butter or something to put on it. That's what you're loading up on during the intermission and you're right back out there for another 20 minutes of ice time and repeat and repeat and repeat throughout
0: the night. What a challenge, though. Good on them for all for everyone that was involved with that game for the for the effort that it took to go through there. A couple of things from this game, and we promise we will get to the Rod Brindamore explosion shortly, but I want to talk about a couple of things in this game. Victor Hedman with the move that others have tried before, but he was unsuccessful as well, trying to avoid a too many men on the ice penalty, decided he'd jump the boards, but into the opponent's bench. You can't do that. You can't. No, it was a good try. We've seen guys yeah. do it
1: successfully in their own bench, but uh, it was funny to see the Blue Jackets react to him trying to hide his, his enormous frame at the end of their bench. And the the officials had to blow the whistle and the the too many men on the ice penalty or too many men on the ice and and one too many on the opponent's bench, (laughs) as it were, was handed out.
0: Yes, the the, the sentiment is the same, although you could phrase it a little bit uh, differently. Also from this game, and I think part of this is because of the frustration and losing after such an effort for the team by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Seth Jones was a little outspoken in some of his thoughts and the officiating of that game i thought for for general statement the officials did a great job to handle and survive such a long game seth jones was a little bit upset about a call and a non-call he was called for a holding penalty i believe trying to restrain one of the lightning going in on the columbus goal and victor hedman during the overtime was not called for a penalty when there was a, a short-handed breakaway now i see a difference in these two plays To me, Victor Hedman does not wrap his arm around the Columbus player, whereas Seth Jones does put his arm around the Tampa Bay Lightning forward and restrain him, and that's where I think the difference is. You're right,
1: Todd. You're, you're looking at very minute details, but that is often the difference between a call and a non-call. And I think that the, the wrap around, just like we see with some of the holds and the hooks, that, that where your stick is and the position of your stick, your arm, your glove, that all factors into whether or not you're going to see a penalty on the play. And I think in this case, the the larger headman is pushing from behind and uh, and the player goes down. A little bit different than seeing a hold or a grab or, or anything like that. So I don't disagree with the non-call. It's one of those things where you hope you've got the same standard throughout the game and in overtime. But I think in this case, I, I understand why there was not a penalty on that play.
0: And and I see, again, I see the difference between the Seth Jones call, which was a penalty. If you wrap a, an opponent up, even if you grab a shoulder, grab an elbow, or your arm goes around as Jones did, that is going to get called if it's detected by the by the officials each and every time. And we, we keep hearing the same analyst hey oh i want physical play i want hard play and i want bodies colliding well that's what victor hedman was doing he was being physical and bumping the player off the puck which i guess is only okay for them sometimes
1: well i i think you know you're, you're looking at a very tense situation in a tied game and you're looking for any opportunity you can get and for fans especially fans of the blue jackets You you don't want to have felt like you were wronged there in that situation. But this is when size and physical play definitely come into play. And for those screaming for a penalty shot, this did not meet the criteria for that. So that was definitely off the table. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough and it's frustrating. You know, there is a certain amount and we see it throughout the games where certain levels of play, especially physical play, are allowed to continue without penalty. And it's when it rises above that that the penalty gets called. And I think in this case, you know, that arm wrapping around, like you mentioned, Todd, that is what tips the scales to say, that's a hold, where the, the push from behind or the body contact here is, is simply not enough to justify a penalty.
0: Now, the other part about the officiating that we can talk about a little bit is that there were, I believe, only two penalties called during the five overtime periods the rate of infraction was higher during the three regulation periods. And here becomes the argument of does the standard change? Does it evolve as the game goes along? And I'd love for it to be 100% consistent from start until the final whistle.
1: I agree. I wish it would be from the from the start of the first game of the series or of the season to the last game of the playoffs, you would like everything to remain exactly the same. What the standard is set at is where it should go. And I think what we saw, especially in this game, was a bit of a sliding scale where it shifted. And we saw the, the threshold for penalties was going to be greater. And it looked like if a team wasn't gaining a significant advantage or if it wasn't a dangerous play where a, a player was... potential to get injured on the play or something like that Mm -hmm. that the officials weren't going to call it and it's it's typical to what we've seen in previous overtimes especially the longer games I don't necessarily agree with it I think you keep the standard the same as guys get tired they're going to be more likely to bend the rules they're going to be more likely to break the rules or or be penalized, and it should be called accordingly because that's that's just the nature of things. You know, you get you get beat as you're going into your fourth overtime. You hook a guy, you should get called for it. And for those who wanted overtimes to end or even talked about, heaven forbid, shootouts in the playoffs, <gasps> I think if you call the penalties the way they should be called, I think you, you don't end up with five overtime games. Now, I love a five overtime game. I think it's great, and I, I think mm-hmm. that gives good opportunity for teams to score on the power play in overtime, and, and that might end it. I'd rather see them battle it out, but I would like to see the penalties called with the same standards so that you're not letting guys get away with things just because the game's in its third overtime or just because guys are getting tired out there, you're giving them more leeway. I think the standard should remain the same. It didn't. It looked like it it was fair and balanced for both teams as that standard changed, but I'd, I'd prefer that it stay at the same rate you saw during regulation time.
0: And, and that's a great point that it would probably end some of these games a little sooner than going three, four and five overtimes and and eliminate that part of the argument as well. So we'll we'll see how it plays out for the rest of the, the playoffs as we're still getting started in round number one. This is the Scudding the Rest podcast powered by Team Stripes. GoTeamStripes.com is the website to check out for equipment, training tools, apparel and much more. OK, let's get to the Canes and the Bruins. Finally. Much like, much like the uh, game was delayed a few few days because <laughs> of uh, the length of the Tampa-Columbus game, we took our time getting to it. But, but Rod Brindamore, of course, made the big headline with his comments post-game and expressing his frustration about the goal by Charlie Coyle that was allowed to stand despite his challenge for a missed stoppage. There's a few different pieces to unpack with this one. I watched the play as everyone has, I'm sure, several times. And I can see perhaps why Rod Rod Brindamore would initiate a challenge. I do not agree with the challenge he initiated, and I don't think that goaltender interference would have been successful anyway, but there's a few different things with this situation in that Brindamore was frustrated that he wasn't told what the call was, but in a sense, he kind of was, wasn't he? He was. The call on the ice was goal. The officials ruled it a
1: goal on the ice. So when Brindamore was getting frustrated on what it was, whether it was possession, whether it was non-possession, whether it was a hand pass, the on-ice officials at the time did not call a hand pass. They did not call anything. They did not have an intent to blow. They allowed the goal to stand. So at the time that Brindamore is faced with the opportunity to challenge the play, the call on the ice is a goal and it's up to him to decide if he wants to challenge and if he's challenging for a missed stoppage or if he's challenging for goaltender interference
0: and this is where the confusion with rules can sometimes come in we're, we're looking for an immediate explanation and the only immediate explanation is this by what has been viewed from the officials on the ice is a legitimate goal if you do not believe that is the case having the benefit of a monitor and the ability to watch replays on your bench, then it is up to the coach to initiate the challenge and state the reason why he is making that challenge. Absolutely correct. And you
1: you can't just offer a general challenge. You do have to be specific on, on the reason for your challenge and, and what you're looking at there. So this is one of those moments when it's up to the Hurricanes video team to look at the play quickly, Try to assess, and and I know there's a lot going on in a short amount of time for this Mm -hmm. one, but try to assess, do we think that was a hand pass and do we think that was goaltender interference? And you're only going to get one shot. You've got to make the call of which one you're challenging here if you're challenging at all. Personally, because the puck went from the Bruins player to the goaltender, that would have negated the hand pass. So immediately that's out for me. If I had to challenge something, goaltender interference, if you want to argue that the goaltender had the puck covered under his glove... That's your only angle I think you could even possibly take to have a chance at getting that goal overturned. And unfortunately for the Hurricanes, they chose poorly.
0: I didn't even think that it would qualify as goaltender interference. It looked as though it was a continuous battle in terms of fighting for possession of the puck. It was sprung loose and it was popped into the net by Charlie Coyle. It It was happening outside the crease. So I don't even know that I could interpret that as being goaltender interference.
1: I, th- I think you're right, Todd. I don't, I don't know that it necessarily was. It, it certainly is a continuous play. I think, you know, when you're looking at that and you're, you're watching the guys battling for the puck and you're looking at how, how guys are coming for a loose puck and the timing, I think some people, including Brindamore, may have been thrown off by the fact that they were saying Mrazek had possession of the puck. And right. Pos- possession is not an automatic whistle for freezing the puck. Maintaining possession, holding the puck... Will result in a whistle when the goaltender freezes the puck, but just because he has possession does not mean the whistle sounds at that moment. Nor do the officials have the ability via replay to say he had the puck covered at this instant. We're going to stop the play there. That's that's not part of how replay can be used. So I think you're you're onto something there. Where I don't know that it would have been goaltender interference. That's that's your only hope if you're if you're on the Carolina bench. Sure. Uh, when I first saw the play, I wasn't sure if the officials were going to blow the play dead for intent to blow at the time that he'd covered it. We've seen that in the past where the goaltender covers the puck, it ends up in the net, but the official was getting ready to blow the whistle and it just delayed by physical reasons to get the whistle to their mouth in time. I thought that may have been the case when it looked like the goal was going to stand and they went over to the benches, it it became clear that it was a goal and that Brindamore was going to challenge the play. So. That was my jumping up at the TV and <laughs> and yelling, going, "All right, here's a big one!"
0: <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. We got something to to talk about this week. And of course, Rod Brindamore has been fined a substantial amount, twenty five k for his post game comments. And I I think part of that is being caught up in the the heat of the moment and still not qu- completely decompressing after a game and the frustration of losing to the to the Boston Bruins as well in a long drawn out game, but. I also think that he knew that Okay, I've crossed the line. I may as well go really far past it. <laughs> I'm going to get fined anyway, so it's just the amount that's going to go up. and And let's see what happens with my team now. Understanding that, look, I'm I'm in this. I'm invested a thousand percent, and I need you to be as well.
1: Well, that's it. You know, and boy, did that amount go up. This is the highest coaching fine we've seen in in eight years since Tortorella was hit with thirty thousand dollars, and of course he had the the twenty thousand earlier this year. But a big big fine for Brindamore. So he's he's definitely getting his money's worth for what he said. But I think you're spot on that this is a strategic move, and I won't discount it. The Hurricanes are underdogs to the Bruins, and and now by doing this, the, the refs are against us too, and you can try to rally your team and say, look, sure. we need to fight, we need to battle back, you know, this is this is unjust, and you're kind of putting your team in a spot to hopefully fire them up a little bit, And and I'm sure his goal in doing this was to vent his frustrations, to hope for a sympathetic ear from the league, but also to fire up
0: his team. You mean to tell me that coaches will pit their team against the officials and say they're against us and they don't want to win? I have never heard of such a thing before. (laughs) It's not just fans who think the officials are out to get them, right? (laughs) Apparently so. Okay, I got one more that I want to I want to mention. It's sort of a, a funny, quirky one to end on a bit of a lighter note. It happened to Robin Leonard of the Vegas Golden Knights, not once, but twice. It also happened to Brendan Gallagher of Montreal Canadiens versus Philadelphia. They lost skate blades. Now, we have seen this occur in the past, and the whistle blows at at a different rate of speed afterwards. But that's because, just because a player or even a goaltender loses the skate blade does not immediately warrant the whistle being blown by the referee
1: no and and sometimes it is uh, but certainly you don't want to have a scoring opportunity you don't want the other team to be in possession of the puck o- officially the rule book says under 14-1 that play should not be stopped for reasons of adjustments to clothing equipment skates or sticks now obviously a, a lost skate blade is pretty significant it's, it's affecting your ability to move we've seen with players Play goes on and the officials have been known to shove a guy towards yes. the bench or give him a little push to get him off the ice and, and let someone come on. In this case with Leonard, with it happening twice, we had his skate fly out. The team's played on. He had to make a couple saves with only one skate blade, which was amazing and, and kudos to him for it. But yeah, the, the rule is that they have to play on and certainly when there's an opportunity to stop play, then he can go and get serviced at the bench.
0: And yes, of course, if there's a, a dangerous situation and potential injury to, to a goaltender or to another skater, the referees will blow the plate. But it, it kind of makes for a humorous moment now and again, and I'm OK with it.
1: Oh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I was When I saw a skate blade out and the play shifted up ice, I was really hoping the ref would give him a shove towards the bench. We could watch <laughs> Flurry hop over the boards to come back in. Change on the fly. Yeah, yeah, love come that. On. That, would have, that would have been awesome.
0: I you know what I have wanted to see that from coaches who it was mostly during the Mike Keenan years as I almost begged is please just change them on the fly once he changed goaltenders so often trying to change the momentum I would love to see goalies change on the fly there's no rule against it right there is not no you you are certainly within your rights to
1: pull the goalie send the other guy back out there and I I think you know there's 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 gotta be a coach who's going to take advantage of that at some point to his benefit
0: okay so there's our challenge at some point we want to see a coach change goalies (laughs) on the fly
1: Oh, nice. So it it would be a lovely thing. I I love when goalies wander. I'm a big proponent of getting rid of the trapezoid as it is because there's nothing more exciting than when a goalie leaves the crease. So I think changes on the fly, we we may have to mandate
0: them, Todd, but I, I think that would be awesome. I think that would be okay too. All right. That's that's a lot of stuff in the first week of the it's not even a first full week of the NHL playoffs. I suspect we'll have plenty of more drama and chaos and mayhem for our next one. The
1: Scouting the Refs podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out, goteamstripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Instagram at Scouting the and visit scoutingtherefs.com.